Well, good morning. It is good to have you here. Those of you here in Bellingham joining us live. Those of you in Skagit, so glad to have you with us. And those at the Trinity Church of God in Boca Raton, thanks for joining in. And those with the live stream, good to have you with us today. I'm really, really excited that you're here today or tuning in with us uh, because we have a very special guest with us this morning, and I know that you are going to be blessed. This, uh, this man that we'll be sharing with us this morning uh, has had a huge influence and impact on my life. I cannot minimize the, uh, the, the magnitude of his influence on my life. We were trying to figure out when we first met. I think I was either in late grade school or early junior high. Uh, he's a few years older than me. He was a college student at that time. And, uh, and then we got to know each other and spent some time uh, together over the years. And he's no stranger to uh, this church because he actually was the senior pastor of what was then called the Cornwall Park Church of God from 1985 to uh, December 1992. And during that stretch of time, uh, not only did he impact uh, his leadership and his, uh, just his heart, he and his family impact this church, um, but he also during those seasons invited me to move to Bellingham to be a part of this church. So you can either thank him or spank him. He's the one responsible so, you know, depending on how you feel about uh, these last 25, 30 years, uh, that's, that's how you'll think about him. But, but he came, and he was a pastor here, and, um, and he has influenced me um, as, a, as a preacher, as a pastor, philosophy about church ministry and outreach. Um, he's been my pastor. He's been a mentor uh, over the years. He's been a friend, and I'm so excited to have our former pastor, uh, Ken Long, with us this morning. Would you give the hugest 9 a.m. welcome to Pastor Ken Long this morning? Love you, man. Yeah, but I still couldn't get him to cut his hair. Hard as I tried. Wow, it is so, so good to be with you this weekend. Uh, I, I, it's really an understatement to say that it, it's a privilege. You guys probably don't know this, but it's a real accomplishment for a pastor just to be able to go back to his former church and be allowed in the doors, all right? <laughs> and uh, that, that's, that's kind of where we're at today. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to be here today. We... Um, we shared, you know, and if you can indulge me a little bit, you know, this weekend that we're celebrating Bob's 25 years, which is hard to believe um, that it's been that, that kind of time, but um, back in 1985, when my wife Annette and our two-year-old daughter Abby uh, drove out here from Muskogee, Oklahoma to pastor the Cornwall Park Church of God, it was my first uh, opportunity to be a senior pastor, a lead pastor of a church. Uh, what we found was a, a wonderful group of folks, maybe 70 or 80 folks. Most of them were older. Uh, if I recall, there met, I think there was two couples that were probably south of 50 years old. I was 28 years old at the time. Just get that picture uh, locked in your brain, and, and that's, what we, uh, that's what we stepped into. And I got to tell you, these folks, and some of those, are, those folks are still here, and, and they'll be here this weekend. They were so faithful and so encouraging and, and uh, you know, trusting uh, this young leader as we began to guide this, this congregation. Uh, as things began to grow and God began to prosper the church, uh, we, we really stepped out in faith to uh, trust God to bring the next uh, staff person, which would be a youth pastor. And so uh, that was a big step for this congregation, huge step. Now I've got to back, back 
up a, just a little bit more. For those of you, and I know many of you don't know me, never probably met me before, and this is the first time, so just a little background. I grew up in California, Central California, and did not grow up a Christian at all uh, or in a Christian home. I got in a lot of trouble during my high school years, and four days after I graduated from high school, we were celebrating the graduation uh, in a little coastal town called Pismo Beach, California. And all, uh, all my buddies, and we were all, you know, the hundreds of kids that were there celebrating, we were letting out all the stops and doing everything under the sun. And, and on the last night there, uh, I, I was not long for consciousness, let's just say. And I stumbled my way to my car, and all of a sudden, Jesus started speaking to me. And it was, it was supernatural. And I, I knew something was up. Uh, there was a girl there that afternoon that we, back then we called them Jesus freaks, all right? And she had come to the Lord just a few months earlier, and I, I didn't know what was going on. And I cried out, you know, where, where she was at, her name, and her car was gone. All of a sudden, the car door opens up. She sits down next to me. And even not verbally, but in my heart of hearts, I just looked over her and I said, whatever it is that you found, that's what I want. And at that moment, the living spirit of Jesus Christ came flooding into my heart. And he transformed me immediately. It, it, was, it was an amazing experience. And so I started off from there, uh, and within uh, a couple of weeks, I started getting connected with this one church that some of the kids from, from the youth group at that point I, I knew, and so I got connected to this one church, and I went to a rally on a Sunday night, and there was a speaker at this rally, and I sat in the back. You got to picture this. I, I used to have red hair, bright red hair, and I had a lot of it. Uh, and I'm sitting in the back of this church, and the speaker's name was Gerald Marvel. And I, I sat there and listened to this, this preacher, and I remember thinking very distinctly, if I was ever going to be a preacher, that's what I'd want to be like. And I tucked that away. About two or three weeks later, I get a call from a little college in Portland, Oregon, Warner Pacific College, and it's a representative. I've never, lived, I've never been out of California in my life, and he's calling and asking me if I'd be interested in coming to this Christian college. And I said, uh, well, I've never been up there. I don't know anything about it. I wasn't really prepared to go to college. And he started laying out. And I said, are you anywhere near that pastor that I heard a couple of weeks ago? He says, yeah, they're just right across the river in Vancouver. I said, I thought that was in Canada. You know? And they said, no, that's Vancouver, Washington. And a lot of our kids go there. And that was the deciding factor for me to go to Warner Pacific College. And that's a couple years after that, the Lord placed a call of ministry on my life and prepared for that. And and that started a friendship with the Marvel family, with Bob, as he said. He was probably in junior high about that time. And uh, so that was the background. And, and now that I'm in Bellingham and as this pastor, I mean, my dream would be to have Bob uh, come on, uh, on our, our, our staff there. And that's what God allowed us. And I am so grateful that he did. And... You know, I have to say that in 1993, when we left to go to Vero Beach, Florida, and take a position there, Bob wasn't too excited about that. Uh, and, and, and I think he'll admit that. Uh, but I got to tell you guys, in the providence of God Almighty and in the wisdom of the leaders of the Cornwall ch uh, Church at that time, they chose him to be your next pastor. And, and I, it's been one of the joys of my life and my ministry to see what God has done through his life and ministry, but through you as a church and the influence that you've had here in Whatcom County and around the world, actually. So I just have to be able to testify to that today and thank you guys for, um, for being able to just come back and, and share this weekend. We, uh, I was asked if we could take a look at this passage that you've seen behind me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
And if you uh, have a Bible or on your, uh, your device or whatever uh, you, you look at it on, I think they're, they're going to show this up here. But we're, uh, we're going to just take a few minutes to take a look at this passage. And when I, when, uh, I was told, you know, would you, would you consider this this weekend as you're sharing, I kind of was trying to wrap myself around. And, and I know it says don't despise because of your youth. And maybe they're thinking back to the days when Bob was a youth pastor and what we, lessons we've learned and all that. A lot of reflection. A lot of reflection. In fact, 30 years of reflection, I got 30 minutes to do it this morning, all right? And, and yet, when I, when I started thinking about Paul's influence and his ministry to this young pastor, Timothy, you, you have to understand, he, he traveled with this young man for several years in his missionary journeys. And then all of a sudden, he planted him in the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the predominant churches of the day. It was one of the kind of leading, leading churches outside of the Jerusalem and Antioch area. And here's this young man. When we say young, he was probably in the 30, young 30, maybe, maybe late 20s, but probably uh, 30, 31. And this was a church that was seasoned. It had been established earlier by the Apostle Paul, and there were leaders there. They'd been trained. They'd been discipled. And now he was entrusting this church to this young man, and he's pretty much out there. It's a challenging area. You talk about a pagan society. Ephesus was right at the top. And so he's writing these words in, in, um, in his letter to Timothy. And these words are intended to be an encouragement. They're in, intended to exhort him and to, uh, to challenge him a little bit along the lines of his life. Paul knew what this young man needed to thrive in that setting. He needed a cool head. He needed a, a strong love. He needed unwavering faith. But probably above all, he knew that it was going to take behavior that, that was going to back up all of this uh, as, as a result of the, the challenges he was going to face in, in that particular um, area. So I want to read for you from, uh, from this fourth chapter. And um, in verse 6, beginning in verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers... You're going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for this present life, but also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching, and don't neglect the gift that you uh, have been given by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Some great words. Let's pray and ask the Lord just to help us to understand them today. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the instruction that we receive from it. Every time we approach it, we do so with anticipation that you're going to say something to us personally. And we open our hearts up for that this morning. Lord, we're, we're grateful for the life that we have in Christ. 
And I think each one of us this morning uh, strive to uh, carry out your commission to make disciples. And this isn't limited to just vocational ministry. This is every one of us that call ourselves followers of Christ. We're, we're called to reproduce this life into uh, future generation. And so this instruction that we look at, Lord, we know is, is going to be uh, something that is pertinent, that is relevant to each one of us in our ministry. So help us to hear your words and help us to apply them. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was challenged uh, by a guy named Jim Kruger. Uh, Jim, Jim is the creative director of DC Comics, okay? You wouldn't know his name offhand, but you probably know some of the characters that he's helped develop. Characters like Spider-Man and X-Men and the Avengers. And he's been the one, kind of the genius behind bringing these to the film. And, and they've kind of got a whole new uh, life uh, this generation uh, through the films that, that he's making. Uh, he had some interesting observations, and I was challenged by them. This guy literally is a hero maker. In other words, he, he designs and he comes up with these stories of these great heroes. And he made a comment, and he said, most of the heroes that you read about, they started off as, as broken people. They, they were really out on the margins. And there was somebody that came alongside of them that helped them to become the heroes that, that we know them. And... For example, one of his characters, Batman. Uh, Batman has Alfred. And he said, Alfred's the guy who comes alongside and heals the wounds. He's the one that, that comes and, and uh, encourages him and, and sets him back up. He's the one that takes uh, the raw pain that he's going through or the chaos that he's going through, and he hones it into the, this character that's going to save Gotham. That's Alfred. And his premise was, uh, he says, most pastors want to be Batman. And he said, but, but really, we should aspire more to be like Alfred. And yet you think about it, well, who would you rather be, Batman or Alfred? <laughs> I mean, think about that. And I know that uh, back in 1985, when I became pastor here at the church, I wanted to be Batman. And, and when we brought Bob on, he was going to be my Robin, you know? He was, he was going to come alongside, and, and we were going to change the world. And now, fast forward, thir almost 30 years later, I'm beginning to discover that the real hero is Alfred. He's, he's the one that's going to come alongside and, and basically prop up the Batmans. And, and quite honestly, folks, you who are out on the edges and out on the far reaches and are out at your workplace and your, uh, the students that are here that are on your campuses, you're the ones that are out in the city fighting the enemy. You're the crime fighter. And when he always comes back to the cave, it's Alfred who has to kind of talk him off the ledge, doesn't it? He's the one who has to uh, kind of prop him back up, you know, so that he can go out and do what he, they're called to do. And I think more and more that that's the kind of hero maker that, that I would like to be and, and aspire toward. And when I was reading this passage, I want you to see Paul as kind of like Alfred, and he's trying to encourage this young pastor, kind of like Batman, with these words of encouragement and exhortation. This is how he's speaking to him. And today, uh, if you, if you uh, have the notes in front of you, I wanted to just quickly go down some of the components of what it is that he is sharing here in these first few verses. I'm going to kind of qualify them in two categories, the do's and the don'ts, all right? 
And so quickly, let's look at the don'ts. This is what he's saying. Be cautious. Don't, don't do this. First of all, he is saying, don't waste your time arguing foolish ideas. Don't waste your time, um, you know, with these, these silly myths. And, and one of the versions calls them wives' tales. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Now, why is he telling Timothy this? It's because Timothy is living in a culture, Ephesus, that it was rampant uh, of the, the very thing that he's talking about. It would probably be under the category we would call superstitions. And pretty much everybody bought into these, and including probably some of the folks in the church there. And he's saying, don't digress. Don't, go, don't default back into those arguments about those kinds of things. It's a waste of time, those kinds of notions. And I think about our ministry today. Uh, I pastor just down the road in Everett, Washington. I've been there now almost 15 years. And so it's been good to come back to the Northwest. And, uh, and I think th those of us in the Northwest know this is a, this is a, a pretty uh, inherent non-believing society that we live in. Would you agree with that? I mean, we're, we're the, we call it, use the word non-churched. Uh, but 93, 94% of folks have nothing to do with worship like we're doing right now. And there are notions out there, and we're, where we live, the, the kind of place we live, people are coming up with some of the craziest ideas. Would you agree with that? You get in a conversation with somebody, and you're going, where in the world is that? I try to be kind, you know, when I'm, almost every week I get somebody and say, well, what about this, or what about that? And I'm thinking, where did they come up with this? I had somebody the other day talking about reincarnation, you know, and, and they were just trying to tout, you know, well, don't you think that we're going to come back until we get it right, you know? And I'm going, man, oh man. Now, I could get into that and sink into that, but Paul's just saying, you know, there's too many other good things to focus on, the truth that we focus on. Don't waste your time in those things. Second thing he says is don't be intimidated, and this is what our, our text is predominantly today. Don't be intimidated by the fact that you're young. Let no one despise you because you're young. Now, I thought about this, since this is our kind of primary text. I thought, what was he really trying to tell Timothy? I don't think he was encouraging Timothy to get defensive over this and saying, saying hey, I'm the man, you know, I've got the authority, and, and try to defend himself against some of the older saints that, that might have been there. But yet at the same time, he's saying, watch yourself. Watch yourself. I remember, in fact, I just thought about this. Uh, our chapel at Warner Pacific College had this quote from a professor, he's one of my beloved professors, Ralph Turnbull. And, he, and there's this quote on the wall of the chapel. Did you ever see this, Bob? The man sanctifies the office. The office doesn't sanctify the man. And just because you're the pastor and just because you got the title, Paul's saying, don't just throw your weight around, but at the same time, don't let them despise the fact that, that you are younger. I'm sure in, in his setting, uh, most of the folks he was serving were older. When I came here to Bethlehem, I already told you that most of the folks were, uh, were older saints, we would call them, you know, and yet they were so kind and so generous and so faithful to encourage and to back us up uh, in, the, in the vision that God was giving us, and uh, that's, I think that that's one of the, the great things, the great foundations uh, that this church was built on was the faith of some of those, those older saints. You know, I, I, one of the illustrations I thought about was back in World War II, the workhorse was the B-17 bomber, all right? 
And, and the pilot of that bomber, his task was to keep that plane on a steady course toward a very clear target, okay? Now, underneath that plane was this big bubble, and there was a guy down sitting in that bubble on a swivel chair with a machine gun, and he'd be hammering out toward the individual targets and all of that, and, and I, I suspect that there's some young pastors oftentimes that are like the gunner down in the, down in the basement, and they want to take on anybody that's out of line, <laughs> you know, and they want to go after them, you know, because they're right, and they've got it all, and they're bum, 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 like that. And I think what Paul is telling Timothy is be more like the pilot up in the, the front seat who's on a steady course, get the whole plane going toward the target. And what he would say is that, that whole plane is your life. It is your behavior. It's your character. It's everything that you are, the substance of who you are. And that's going to develop over time. Don't let them despise you because you're young. But Timothy, pay attention, you know, to, to what your life is doing. Here's the third one. Don't don't neglect your spiritual gift, he says. Now, I don't know what that gift was. It never was really spelled out. Chances are it would fell in one of the gifts that Ephesians talks about, whether it's prophecy, uh, evangelism, pastor, teacher. My suspicion is it was more in that realm of pastor, teacher. And when these elders laid hands on him and trusted him to this ministry, they recognized that he had a gift. Maybe it was a gift of teaching. And I have to say, in, in your setting, um, as I've observed, I, I think your pastor has a gift of pastor, but also is a very gifted teacher. Would you agree? God has, God has blessed him with this ability to take the Word of God and to make it practical and, and something that you can um, relate to and apply to your life. And friends, do you know that that is a gift from God? He'll never say this, but I can say this. That's a gift from God. When you have someone that can take the word and make it, um, make it understandable. He says, don't neglect that gift. And I'm grateful that we have that example here. So what are some of the do's? Let's look at some of the positive things that, that he's, he's talking about and it's challenging him. This, one, this one's interesting. When he says to warn, I would just put it under this guy, warn the church members. Listen to this in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Okay? Those are, those are powerful words, and he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time when everything around us is going to be up for grabs, and friends, I believe we're living in those times right now. Truth is up for grabs. And when you come here on a weekend and you have the privilege of sitting under the teaching of the Word of God under somebody who has been able to set apart and to train themselves, as he says, on the words of faith and on the good doctrine that you have followed, the challenge is, is, is that in that faith, we've got to warn the folks, we need to hear this truth. We need to hear the Word of God so that we can adjust to it and not the other way around. I'm consistently engaged in conversations where folks want me to suddenly adjust to the ways of the culture, to the ways of the world, or the things that are kind of watering down that truth. It's a constant battle. And so thank the Lord when we can stand here with somebody who's been trained and, and understands that word. I liken it to a plumb line. 
Any of you uh, construction workers at all, you know that if you're building a building and you're trying to build a wall, a plumb line is a very simple thing. It's a string with a weight on the end of it. And all it does is tell you what, what is going to be true vertical. And it would be just as silly for a con con construction worker to say, well, I'm going to make that fit my wall the way that I think it should be, but that you don't do that. You adjust your work to the plumb line. And each and every week we come together and we hear that word of truth, and he says the word doctrine. In other words, the things that we have come to understand and agree on, that this is, this is the truth and this is what that means, we adjust to it. We don't expect it to adjust to us. Amen? That's what we do it's when we come together. And this is what Paul is encouraging this young, young Timothy. He says, secondly, keep spiritually fit. While the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds a promise for this present life and also for the, the life to come. Now, I, I, you know, I sat there and I thought about this because uh, one of the things about Bob, Bob and myself that are quite different is his physical discipline, uh, as you well can see and tell, you know, yourself. And I thought about trying to come up with something cute or something, you know, derogatory about his ability to run marathons or something like that. And I thought, you know what, if I do that, I'm just going to sound like sour grapes of somebody who just doesn't have the discipline that he has, because he is very disciplined in that area. And, and, and there's value, and even Paul says that, there is value in that area. But then he uses that illustration, and he says, but there's even something of greater value, and that is training in, in godliness in godliness. And what does that mean? Well, actually, the next thing that he says here gives us, gives us a hint toward what he's actually talking about. And I would say about being a godly model, what does it encompass? Listen to these words. But set the believers an example in your speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, as I was studying this uh, just recently and looking at this again, it, the way that Paul has designed those statements, it's not so much of five unique different characteristics kind of in sequence. There's only really two characteristics that have three qualities attached to those two characteristics. Okay, let me put it this way. What Paul is saying is in your speech, let your speech be marked by love and by faithfulness and by purity. Let the things that come out of your mouth be things that are going to honor God and not dishonor him. Don't let your speech be marked by, by critical, negative, uh, slanderous, malicious type talk. Let them be pure. Let your words be pure. And one of the things I find interesting is often it's our speech that betrays what's really going down in our heart, isn't it? it it's, a, it's like an out, outflow Harold Lenzel used to say, what's in the bottom of the well always comes up in the bucket. And if there's muddy water and dirty and, and you know, if there's something going on, when you bring the bucket up, it's going to come out and it's going to show up. And if there's clean, pure water down there, it's going to come up in your speech. You can tell by their speech. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. They'll, they'll know you by the words that are coming out of your mouth. And also, number two, your conduct. Your conduct needs to be marked by love, by faithfulness, and by purity. That's our conduct. This is what he's, he's calling this young man to, to aspire to. And I, uh, I think these are good words uh, for, for all of us uh, that he's, he's speaking of. Here's the third or fourth thing. He says, Timothy, 
focus on the Word of God. Keep your focus on the Word of God. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to, and to teaching. And, um, and when I, I stop and I think about what we're doing this weekend, celebrating one servant of God who, who's been faithfully doing that for now 25 years, more than 25 years, I, I stop and I think, wow, think about the, all the messages that have come to this place, of all the biblical um, landscape that you've covered over these years, and, and all of the things that, that have been challenging and that have gone out there. And some of you have been here that, that whole time. And, and to be able to look down now at the road as far as we are and to go back and say, you know, to say he'd been faithful to the Word of God. That's just what he's challenging Timothy. We've got the privilege now to look back on that. Back, you know, 25 years ago when I, I left, I know in my heart I wanted to come alongside um, this young pastor. And I was hoping, like I said earlier, to, to, to be an encourager, to be like, like an Alfred, to, to do my best to, to, to lead and to, to encourage that. But not knowing exactly what's going to happen, it was still going to come down to the responsibility to stay on that track. And this last word that I share with you this morning, you know, it says, keep a close watch on your life. And I just want to say publicly, in your presence, my loving, uh, you know, encouragement to my brother Bob is to, to pay attention to these words. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you're going to save both yourself and your hearers. What an encouragement. And now, you know, as, um, you know where I'm at right now, the season that I'm at, I'm, I'm starting to think about transition. I'm starting to think about, uh, about handing off. Uh, God has blessed us in our church and ministry with, with some very gifted young adults. Uh, one of the joys of my life, in fact, uh, just to give you an update on my own family, I've got four kids. I came here, when I first got here, I had a two-year-old daughter, Abby, and th my other three kids were all born here in Bellingham. In fact, when daughter number three was born, uh, Bob was in the hospital all night with my other two kids when my daughter Anna was born. And we just got back from Indiana last week because uh, my daughter Anna just had her first baby. And uh, daughter number two and daughter number three, Anna and Allie, have a band called Atlanta Story, and they're married. To, their husbands are part of the ministry, and they travel uh, around, and, and God's been using them in, in the music ministry and, and uh, writing and, and things, and it's, it's just been such a joy. But, but now I get the privilege of my son, my youngest son, Stuart, who was born three months before I left here, and now he's 25 years old, and he just came on our staff as our young adults pastor. And he will be preaching his first sermon July 1st, first week of July. And I did some calculation. I think I've, I've probably preached over 5,000 times since that. And so, friends, if I had more time to share with you my, my deep, deep passion. It's always been my passion, but I tell you, it's been revived and renewed just in the past several years 
that we are called to make disciples who can make disciples. That's our calling, every one of us that are believers, to reproduce our life into a new spiritual generation that will be able to take it out to a subsequent generation. It's not done when we just go serve or we just you know, do be the hands and feet of Jesus. Our task is, is to become spiritual parents and to reproduce that into another generation. And so, so my joy right now is to begin to pour into the, these young adults. And I know your church has those kinds of leaders here as well. Other voices, other future leaders. And there's other Bobs that are coming in, you know, and they're, they're going to be doing their first and their second and their third sermons for the first time. And your encouragement to, means a lot to them. But here's the deal. And this is what makes this weekend so special. Do you guys know how few pastors are finishing strong these days. And that's my admonition to my brother Bob and to myself. I'm thinking in terms of transition, maybe in the next couple of years, two, three years, change, you know, stepping back some and, and handing it off. And I want to finish strong, and I'm trusting God to give the strength and the, 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 the courage, really, to, 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 to carry it out. But... Um, but I'll tell you what, you need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray for your leaders. I shared last night that um, I, think it was, I think it was 1986, maybe a year after I got here, and I remember uh, hearing about uh, a leader that I was pretty intrigued with that was going to be up in Abbotsford just across the border. And he was kind of being touted as the next Billy Graham. Uh, his name was Louis Plough. And a great evangelist, and, and he was going to be up there. And so I took the afternoon, and I drove up there to, to be able to share that afternoon with him and a few other pastors. Well, he had another uh, pastor with him, and his name was Bill Hybels. And he shared the Willow Creek story. I'd never heard of Bill Hybels. But he started talking about this ministry and how it had launched out of uh, youth ministry, and they were doing some creative things, innovative things. And, and it just kind of captured my heart. And it wasn't a few weeks later that I was invited to speak out in Ohio, and uh, I took Jim Norris here. Uh, Jim, Jim and I flew out, and he went along with me, and we got back, and I knew we had about a four-hour layover in Chicago. And I said, hey, what would you think about getting a car and just driving out there at this church I, I just heard about? And so we did. And it was pretty quiet around the campus, and I went into the bookstore, and I think he only had one book at that time, and it was called Tomorrow's Church Today. And it was a story of what they called Sun City. It was a youth ministry. And when I opened up the book on the plane back, and I, Jim probably remembers this, I'm looking at the pictures. That's what I do when I read books. I just look at pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it showed this gymnasium and how they, they transformed it into this, this youth center, you know, with, with uh, cameras and uh, with... Uh, screens and a band and these kids were playing saxes and their trumpets and all and they were just doing this thing that was relevant to kids and this this ministry just exploded and then when they graduated they were saying well now where do we go we're, we're going back to a traditional church why don't we create something like this for for the adults and that's how how the church got started and i just i i went up to jim who was sitting in a different seat and i said where is that look at that what what is the picture of that and I said, that's the boys' club right next to our church over here on Meridian. That's the boys' club. It's a double-wide gym with, a, with a, a cinder blocks and all of this. And, and I said, what would keep us from doing that? 
And again, here's this young pastor and, and these folks that have been, they built the church there on Meridian. I mean, they, their hands went into that. Why would they be open to this new crazy idea about having a service over there to try to reach folks that might be a little more open, you know, to, to stepping into the church? We used to roll out 800 yards of carpet every Sunday, every Sunday on these big old rolls, on these, these crates that we put in a garage next door to the, the boys' club. <laughs> there was a kid from the college, Mark was his name, and I thought, we've, we've got to have a projector. This was kind of new back then. These are probably 30,000 ANSI lumens. That's how bright these came. Ours was 300 ANSI lumens. He had to every week come early and build a visqueen tent for the rear projection camera. Every weekend he had to do this in order to, to show it up on the screen. But our folks took the risk, and they took that step. And, uh, and you know, things just started building from there. And... But I, I share this with you because of the influence a leader back then in 1986. Fast forward, 42 years of ministry... And Bill Hybels just had to stand before his congregation and resign a little earlier than he intended because of some moral uh, speculation, immoral speculation to his, his ministry. And I just watched that. And I, I'm not going to throw him under the bus by any means. He's had a great ministry. But I just stopped. I think, you guys know how difficult it is to finish strong and to have somebody that represents what he challenged young Timothy in your speech and in your conduct to be loving, to be faithful, and to be pure. Is that not a great aspiration for every one of us this morning? And as you pray, thank God, thank God that you've got a leader that's willing to boldly and courageously stand before you with the Word of God and that that's the focus. We're not going to waver from that. And pray for us, you know, who have been called out to do what we do that God will continue to work in our hearts and to be found faithful. I meant what I said. It is a privilege to come back after 30 years to a church that you once, once pastored and actually be welcome back. <laughs> it, it, really is, it really is something. And there's a lot of love for you guys and for what God is doing here and a whole lot of love for your pastor, who we're going to celebrate this afternoon at 3 o'clock, in case you didn't know. Uh, we're going we're gonna to gather in this place and and just reflect a little bit more, and I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, this, this is a real special occasion. And uh, I just, again, thank you guys for allowing me to come to share. I want to pray for you, okay? Could we stand together as we just close out, and uh, then, then we'll be dismissed today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, um, for these times that we get to reflect on your word. We get, we get to, Lord, kind of look back. And there's some folks that are here at Cornwall that have only been here for days or weeks. There are some that have been here for decades. And regardless of where they're at on the journey, for whatever reason in your good providence you brought them to this place for this time, for such a time as this, and I pray a blessing over each one of the individuals that are here. There are folks in this room this morning, Lord, who may be taking the first steps to try to discover what a life in Jesus Christ is all about. And they might be a little nervous about that, even a little scared. But I pray that your loving, drawing uh, message is going to reach their heart, draw them to yourself, and that they will trust you. They will, they will step into that relationship by putting their faith in you, Jesus, for their salvation. 
If you've never done that this morning, even as our heads are bowed, and just uh, in your heart of hearts, you've never taken that step, and you just want to say, Lord Jesus, I, I'm crying out your name, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting you to come into my heart and make it your home forever and ever for the rest of my life and beyond. Help me through your power to begin to live a life that is pleasing to you. I trust you for your salvation today. And I, I just trust God as I pray over those that you'll give them the assurance that you'll fill them with your Holy Spirit just like you did in my heart so many years ago and you've done in so many hearts. I just pray that they'll begin that journey and that they'll find this a place where they can be nurtured and to grow to their full extent of the maturity you've called them to. Lord, if there's something today, those of us that are followers here, there's something today that just kind of sparked, kind of touched us at a raw area that we need to bring before you. I hope we'll do that right now, not even leave this place until we lay it out before you, asking you, if, if need be, to forgive us of that, cleanse us of that, and uh, invite the light to come in and shine in that area so that we can walk um, in, in the newness of the life you've given. God, I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you for Bob and, and Doreen. And I, I just thank you, God, for the friendship we've enjoyed and, Lord, for the faithfulness that he has displayed. Like this commission to young Timothy, I believe now we've got the privilege of looking back over these years and seeing that progress, seeing how that has, has folded out. And we want to say thank you for that gift. We love you, Lord, this morning, and pray that we'll just go out in the power, the enthusiasm, the zeal of the Holy Spirit and everything you take us to. And until we come back again, may your blessing be on each one. In Jesus' name, amen.